I've studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil and he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me you make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You've been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. show is Superman the Animated Series, Season 1, Episode 7, The Way of All Flesh. Director is Kenji Hachizaki. So I guess that's pronounced Kenji Hachizaki, I suppose. Writer is Stan Berkowitz. Original air date, October the 19th, 1996. Summary is as follows. Thanks to the machinations of Luther, the terrorist John Corbin becomes Metallo, a skin-covered cyborg with a heart of kryptonite. Luther then sets the supervillain on a quest to kill Superman, but ultimately, Corbin begins to question his role as an assassin. The commentary starts in four, three, two, one. Basically, this this entire episode really is, this came from an idea that one of my listeners had. This is Jason Ritter. Basically, he wrote on, not September, on November the 12th, 2013, he wrote, I, Trentus Magnus, just found out about your show. I love it. I have an idea for an episode, and you could do commentary on three episodes from Superman the Animated Series. Way of All Flesh... Stolen Memories, and Speed Demons. Anyway, keep up the good work from Jason Jimbo Ritter. So, first of all, Jason, thank you very much for your patience in all of this as I finally made my way through to uh, to this episode and talking about the way of all flesh. Basically, it's not that I don't like Superman the Animated Series. It's just... I guess I can't really get over the initial surprise of what what Superman the Animated Series ultimately became. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not trying to insult the show or anything because I really do enjoy it. But... There was something about... Basically, it really goes back to this this article that was printed in Wizard Magazine as part of the hype for the debut of Superman the Animated Series. And there was a shit ton of, not concept art, but I guess models. You know, there were a lot of uh, lenticular models. Not lenticular, I don't even know what you call it, but that sort of cell animation. So, this, you know, these weren't stills from the TV show, but it was it was more than concept art. Does that make sense? These sort of lithographic type of illustrations. And 
I guess what I was expecting from Superman the Animated Series based on those... Again, I don't know what, what to call them. I guess that art that was printed in the Wizard Magazine article, I was expecting something di a little bit different in terms of tone and style than what we ultimately got. And the other thing was that everybody kept talking about the Fleischer influence that was going to be all but manifest in Superman the Animated Series. And so I guess I'd sort of... I guess started thinking of this as being... Uh, a little bit of a spiritual successor to Fleischer. And that's not really what this show is. It ended up becoming, in some ways, sort of similar to Batman the Animated Series. And that's not really a bad thing. I guess I just, I, I didn't really go into this originally expecting that there was going to be some sort of a shared universe type of approach in this sort of DC animated universe. I thought Superman was going to be one thing and that Batman the Animated Series was going to be its own thing and that there really wouldn't be any kind of cross-pollination between the two. And again, that's also obviously not what happened. And I, I guess this is... I, I wanted something from Superman the Animated Series that I just didn't get. And so as a result of that, I wasn't as primed for this show and I guess the reality of this show as I might have been. So, I'm I'm not really sure whose fault that is. It's probably mine. But that's one of the reasons why, as much as I enjoy Superman the Animated Series, I can't shake the suspicion that I'm not as big on Superman the Animated Series as other people might be. And I guess just to finally start talking about the episode at hand, this is... What we're watching right now is a little bit of an action sequence where Superman pretty much finishes the, uh, rounding up a prison break. Basically, Lex Luthor has broken John Corbin out of prison, but he couldn't just break John Corbin out of prison. He had to give Superman a distraction so that Superman would inadvertently let Corbin escape, but still give us a thrilling action sequence in the bargain. And so that's pretty much what's going on here. Now, the last time that we saw Corbin was in that uh, three-part introduction to Superman the Animated Series, that sort of three-part debut. And this, again, sort of fed into a little bit of a misconception I had about what Superman the Animated Series was going to be. Namely, that it was going to be a little bit more uh, continuity dependent. You know, I was expecting a little bit more of a serialized approach to the story. And little things like this kind of fed that misapprehension. You know, there were things like Corbin piloting the Lexo suit, getting sent off to prison, and then getting transformed into Metallo. Those and other things gave me the impression that this was going to be a little bit more of a serialized type of story rather than episodic stories that we saw a lot of in Batman the Animated Series. And yeah, there's some continuity from one episode to the next, but ultimately this is a fairly episodic uh, type of TV show as opposed to a serialized type of TV show. So, oh, and now we're watching this news update from Angela Chen. And again, in a fair and just universe, this would have been Cat Grant, but Angela Chen is Oriental and... So, as I, I guess, a, as a bow in the direction of political correctness, you know, we have to have diversity, you know, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, Cat Grant is already filling the same role as Angela Chen does in this, in this show. Nope, you got to have somebody. Anyway, it's just stuff like that. You see it coming a mile away. It's kind of annoying. It's transparent. And, you know, whatever. I mean... I guess to even talk about it is offensive to some people. It's just, I don't really know why. I'm just in a kind of fucking cranky mood today. So if I end up pissing you guys off as I make, you know, all of my comments and stuff here, well, I guess I apologize in advance, but I don't know why. I'm just kind of ranty today for some reason. But anyway, one of the things that I kind of liked about Superman the Animated Series, just in terms of appreciating it on its own merits, number one is that it gave us actual supervillains and in this case you know what we're seeing is corbin now at fully metallo he's basically experimenting with his powers and you can already kind of figure 
he and Superman are gonna beat the shit out of each other. Now, in the post-Smallville, post-Man of Steel, post-Batman v Superman, post-whatever-the-fuck-else-is-going-on, seeing Superman in a sort of prolonged, pitched, fist-fight type of battle isn't such a new thing anymore. But you have to understand that the operating philosophy for a lot of Superman live-action up to this point had been that sort of Richard Donner protector type of bullshit. And so that tradition kind of carried over into Lois and Clark such that you never really saw the Dean Cain Superman really cut loose. You know, he invariably went up against more human and more grounded type of opponents. And basically nobody who could really challenge him on any type of a physical level. And that was a mistake that I think plagued Superman in live action for a long time, but is less of a factor here, in, at least in, in animation, in that it was very common for the showrunners of Superman the Animated Series to physically challenge Superman in some way or another. And in this case, obviously, it's, it's Metallo. And that's... It basically expanded, I guess, the sort of visual vocabulary of... of what this show could be, you know? The other thing that this show did really well, and this does, again, sort of touch on Lois and Clark, although in a positive way, is the sort of investigative reporter type of thing where Lois and Clark have to somewhat solve mysteries and gather clues and find answers and get their man and all that type of stuff. And we see a little bit of that throughout Superman the Animated Series, basically enough to keep things interesting and keep things entertaining, but this is still an action show. And I kind of liked, you know, the balance of it. Now, those two things I think are, are very positive strengths in Superman the Animated Series' favor, but when you start getting into, you know, the voice cast, you've got uh, Dana Delaney as Lois, and I think for a lot of people, uh, Dana Delaney is virtually definitive this is the type of you know voice attitude and timber that Lois should strive for and then and of course I'm blanking on the guy's name now but you've got the guy from the Shawshank Redemption who is voicing Lex Luthor and he's got this I don't know this sort of rugged powerful masculine uh, timber to his voice you know there's a very commanding sense of authority it's clearly villainous, but it's also sort of elegant, too. And I think it's an incredibly successful uh, casting uh, decision. But when you start getting into Tim Daly as Superman, that, I think, is where the wheels come off the wagon a little bit. Inasmuch as Tim Daly, as Superman, always had this sense of reading off of cue cards. I know that George Newbern from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited definitely has his fair share of detractors among the fan base, but one of the things that I like about George Newbern is that he kind of has the same sort of tone and style to his performance, but there's a little bit more of a performance to it. Does that make sense? He doesn't have that reading off of a cue card type of vibe that uh, Tim Daly often had during his readings as, as uh, Superman, especially during the latter portion of the show's run. Earlier on in the show, this episode, for example, I think Tim Daly is still pretty well engaged as Superman. He's taken the work pretty seriously, but apparently towards the end, Tim Daly was just so busy and it was so hard to get him in the studio to record that pretty much the episode would be 99% finished basically all finished except for Tim Daly's contribution and then he'd come in and record all of his shit maybe a week or two before the show actually aired and then that would be what was in the show and I can't help but think his performance su suffered at least somewhat from his hectic schedule and I'm of the opinion that dude if you just don't have time to do the fucking work then just don't do the fucking work you know and I think it might actually be a little bit easier you know, in today's modern world, you know, with things like Skype and all those other things for Tim Daly to record his lines and he'd probably be better able to do it. But that wasn't the world that existed in 1996. And in 1996, Daly was very much in demand for various movies and TV shows and 
other things that he had going. And so for as good as his performance could be, I don't think that the trade-off that we had to make, you know, between great performances and really mediocre ones, I don't think the performance that we were, there, or rather the trade-off that we were being asked to make vis-a-vis -vis Tim Daly's performance is, I don't think it's worthy, ultimately. But again, to kind of talk more specifically about this episode, one of the things that I like about Superman the Animated Series really owes back to Batman the Animated Series in that the characters tended to be a little bit more fleshed out and nuanced. And a good example of this is actually Metallo, who I think sort of comes a little bit from the Clayface uh, school of, of uh, supervillainy, a la Batman the Animated Series, where basically Matt Hagen had his humanity forcibly taken from him by Roland Daggett. And in the bargain, he gained superpowers, but number one, that doesn't balance out what he lost. And number two, that set him on a collision course against Daggett. His vendetta is against Daggett. Batman is really more of an interloper in that rivalry. Does that make sense? Batman's really just the guy there to save Daggett's life. The real conflict in those episodes of Batman the Animated Series is between Daggett and Hagen. And that's basically what we're seeing here. I mean, it's a little bit more of a slow burn, but it's really a conflict between Corbin and Luther. And Superman was originally the target, but he wasn't... And I mean, he was originally Corbin's target, but Corbin really has nothing personal against Superman apart from kicking his ass in the pilot episode. And honestly, there's really not a whole lot there in terms of a personal rivalry. At least not when you compare it to goings-on with, goings with Corbin and Luther. And so that works for me because so often in these, in these types of animated shows in the past, the hero opposes the villain and the, vi the villain opposes the hero, and not necessarily for any kind of logical reason, but the villain is the villain, the hero is the hero, and so they must oppose one another. That's all there is to it. Well, that's not all there is to it, at least in Superman the Animated Series, where characters might have vendettas that are a little bit more three-dimensional than all that. You know, a little bit more, for lack of a better word, realistic. You know? So... That much, I think, was extremely well done. Corbin has every possible reason to hate Luther at this point. And when you think about it, I mean, the only senses that John Corbin has to work with anymore are sight and hearing. And this is a good little moment right here. Is there a problem, John? I can't taste anymore. I can't smell. Can't. Can't. There's a little bit of a metaphor being indulged there with Corbin saying he can't taste anything, he can't feel anything, he can't, and he's staring at a woman, and all of a sudden, you can kind of figure what Corbin isn't saying. And like I say, I mean, when you think about that, it's not quite full sensory deprivation, but the human consciousness is meant to experience all five senses. And if three of those senses, that is to say, scent, taste, and touch, are taken away from you, yeah, I could see that driving somebody a little insane after a while. And, like I say, it, I mean, it stands to reason that Lex Luthor would have no moral compunction about, about victimizing Corbin in this way if it, if it got Superman out of the way, you know? I don't know why, but I'm really friggin' stuffed up all of a sudden. So hold on a minute. Let me just get a drink off of my Coke here and let's see if I can, if I can clear myself out a little bit. Rematch. Uh, we 
Yeah. Speaking of which, this battle between Superman and Metallo, one of the things that I dig about it is the fact that Kryptonite wasn't really an overused trope in this show. They used it when they needed it, but this wasn't something that they that they would trot out every five or six seconds, you know? And as a result, that makes the the use of Kryptonite... I don't know, it just... It makes it less annoying, you know? Because when writers use it as a crutch, you can always tell that it's a crutch, you know? The showrunners for Superman the Animated Series understood that Kryptonite needs to be used sparingly, and so as a result... Rather than having this vast, powerful, godlike Superman, they had a very Burn Age type of Superman who had a, a fairly limited range and a fairly limited scale to his powers. He was still very powerful, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't exactly a pre-crisis level of Superman. And so you could have a character like Metallo, basically a machine, that you could pretty much believe could hold his own against Superman because Superman is powerful. He's not all powerful. Does that make sense? And now here we get to it at last. This is Corbin basically identifying Luther as his as the real threat to all of this. And this kind of makes their vendetta between, with one another, I guess, permanent. And so, it does, if you want it to, set up future episodes and future conflicts and all of that type of stuff. While still giving us a fun and thrill-packed episode here. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, again, a lot of the, I guess, the reservations that I have about Superman the Animated Series as a show, really what it comes down to is that initial impression I had that this show was going to be something other than what it is. But what it is on its own merits is actually a lot of fun. And I just happen to think that you've probably seen those YouTube videos, right? Uh, Superman classic, that sort of vintage throwback style of uh, Superman animation. And it's, it to me, it's actually, that is the real spiritual successor to Fleischer. And I was expecting something more along those lines from this show. And I didn't really get that. And speaking as a as a huge fan of Fleischer, I don't know. I I kind of regard that as a little bit of a missed opportunity. But uh, at the same time, it, it it just seems very dishonest to fault a show for for being for not being something that it never set out to be. But anyway, so. I think that's pretty much it for me in this segment. So what I'm going to do is just take a uh, take a break and I'll be right back to discuss another Superman the Animated Series episode. Stolen Memories. Be right back. And now, a dramatic reading. Sorry. I ain't sorry. Sorry, I ain't sorry. I ain't sorry. He trying to roll me up. I ain't picking up. Headed to the club. I ain't thinking about you. Me and my ladies sip dissy cups. I don't give a fuck chucking my deuces up. Suck on my balls, paws. I had enough. I ain't thinking about you. Middle fingers up. Put them hands high. Wave it in his face. Tell him boy bye. Now you want to say you're sorry. Now you want to call me crying. Now you got to see me wilding. Now I'm the one that's lying. And I don't feel bad about it. It's exactly what you get. Me and my baby, we gone be all right. I see them boppers in the corner. They sneaking out the back door. He only want me when I'm not there. He better call Becky with the good hair. He better call Becky with the good hair.
Okay, I'm back now, and the next thing I'm going to talk about is Episode 8, Stolen Memories. Director is Kurt Gita. Writer is Rich Fogel. Original air date is November the 2nd, 1996. Summary is as follows. Brainiac, once Krypton's all-knowing planetary computer, comes to Earth as part of his information-gathering trek across the galaxy and partners with Lex, Lu Lex Luthor on the basis of giving technological progress to humanity. But, as Superman discovers, Brainiac's intent after, gaining, uh, after gathering the world's knowledge is to destroy Earth. Commentary begins in 4, 3, 2, 1... So, basically the reason that I'm talking about these Superman the Animated Series episodes, like I said at the beginning of the, uh, of the last segment, is uh, basically, I, it, it was requested that I do so, and this is unfortunately going to be the last of the episodes that I do commentary for, uh, that was mentioned in, in, uh, in the email that I received, and the reason for that is because... Honestly, I just, I don't have a DVD with, what was the other one? Speed Demons. Jason Ritter asked that I do commentary for uh, The Way of All Flesh, Stolen Memories, and Speed Demons. But unfortunately, I don't really have Speed Demons, and so uh, I don't have a DVD with Speed de uh, Demons on it, so can't really do a commentary on that. So, sorry, Jason. Anyway, to get into this episode, though, one of the things that... And just to let you know, the episode's actually starting now. The screen says Stolen Memories. And that truck looks sort of like the front end of the uh, Batmobile from Batman the Animated Series. Which I've always thought was kind of interesting. But anyway, so the... Uh, the thing about this episode that I've always kind of liked is... I'm a fan of the concept, like I said in, in, in the last segment, I'm a fan of the concept of supervillains having rivalries and, I don't know, enmity even with each other, and not just Superman. I mean, the fact that they're both Superman's enemy doesn't exactly make them friends necessarily. And that, indeed, is what we saw in The Way of All Flesh, and to a degree, that's what we see here as well. Uh, another thing that kind of works for me is that this is... It's a very brief thing, but we do get a tiny little helping of the Brainiac Luther team here. And off the top of my head, I don't know if this is the only partnership that Brainiac and Luther ever make in Superman the Animated Series, or I don't know what the hell these people are doing with their arms. It's like they're just kind of swinging them around or something. I don't know what the hell that's about. Or or if we're even supposed to think about it, but whatever. Anyway, so the Brainiac Luther team, right? We get a tiny little bit of it here, and it's it's basically it's done in a way that it's on the terms of Brainiac and Lex Luthor as they exist in in the animated universe. You know, uh, it's it serves both of their characters, the nature of their partnership, and for that reason, I'm I'm actually rather fond of it. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, comics are not the only thing that get paid a little bit of homage here. We actually see a little bit of a tribute to, shall we say, Superman in a different form. Maybe that's the best way to put it. And for the moment, that's, that's as much as I'm going to say about it. But anyway, what I'm saying is that Lex Luthor's got the technological know-how to make contact with Brainiac, and he's got the brains to realize that Brainiac may have toys that could help him against Superman. And let's not overlook the obvious. I mean, the guy runs LexCorp. I mean, he has financial interests in making contact and all that. And speaking of partnerships, uh, there's a sort of a... If you want to view it this way, you could kind of view the partnership between Superman and Emil Hamilton as a more benign and benevolent an ultimately more productive version of the same type of partnership that 
Lex Luthor and Brainiac attempt. You know, both of them, both Superman and Brainiac are aliens and they both make contact with, and, and in order to get support from, they both make contact with humans. There's a relationship there, but it is interesting that the outcome of uh, Superman and Hamilton's partnership, at least in the short term, is mostly positive for both of them. So long term, well, that goes beyond the scope of this episode now, doesn't it? Anyway, all of this is to say that I kind of have a hard time believing that a private citizen who makes first contact all on his own, I don't think, I mean, yeah, sure, the government's going to get involved and they're going to want to debrief the guy, but I've always kind of assumed this would take the form of this person being arrested, and I don't even know who the hell would would, would do the arresting. I mean, you can't just say the government, you know, who specifically would do it. And honestly, the NSA is my best guess, but I, I truly don't know. I find it hard to believe that he'd get hauled in front of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is kind of what this looks like. Or maybe this is some kind of army intelligence. I don't know what the hell this this group is supposed to be or who they're supposed to represent. Or again, if we're even supposed to think that much about it, other than to say that Lex Luthor's in hot shit with the, uh, with the government. But either way, you know, that's just something that I've always been... Uh, a little bit curious about. I've always assumed that the NSA would take the lead on this. And another thing that kind of rings true here is Superman taking the lead as kind of the the official liaison to any to any other alien intelligences that Superman encounter or that the Earth encounters. That Superman would take the lead on being sort of Earth's diplomat. Again, I find that easy to believe. A because he's an alien, but B he's also human too, and a kind of loose sense he's human and this this actually makes a lot of sense to me I, uh, I, I find this easy to believe and this actually we're about to get into something that is just one of my pet fucking peeves with all Superman media which is to say this little bit right here no asshole that's not Kryptonian because Kryptonian is not a language Kryptonian the, the language that Kryptonians speak is called Kryptonese and anyway, that's just a little pet peeve of mine. Smallville did shit like that all the time. It just bugged the fuck out of me. But anyway, get back on topic, though. What we're seeing here is Superman basically throwing down with some giant robots. And if there's one thing that I love seeing Superman do, it's a shirt rip. But if there are two things, it's fight giant fucking robots. I love this. And I think the, the homage to uh, Fleischer Superman... And of course now I'm blanking on I'm blanking on the name of the episode. Maybe it's Billion Dollar Limited. I forget the name of the episode, but basically there was an episode of Fleischer Superman where he has to fight these giant fucking robots. You know, they basically smash and grab a uh, a jewelry store in Metropolis, kidnap Lois in the process unwittingly and Superman has to go to the rescue. And that's sort of what this reminds me of. It's Superman basically throwing down with the, these giant friggin' robots and I've always interpreted this as as kind of a tribute to that episode of Fleischer Superman. So, anyway, I've always liked it, you know, for that reason. But it is kind of a reminder to us that, you know, for as awesome as Superman the Animated Series is, the animation is not quite as sophisticated as Fleischer, weirdly enough. And here we get the first real meeting, face-to-face -face meeting, between Superman and Brainiac. And it's always been really telling that Brainiac didn't lead with the fact that, hey, dude, I'm Kryptonian, too. He didn't exactly sit on that, but you'd think that that would be, if, this, if his intentions were totally pure, that would be something that he'd lead off with, you know? Instead of saying, I am Krypton, which is what he just said, he would say, hey, dude, I'm from Krypton, too. And another thing that I like about this is it ties back directly with the pilot episode, or pilot episodes, as it were. And it would be logical for anyone who watches those episodes to kind of wonder, well, what ended up happening to Brainiac? Well, now we've got our answer. And this kind of leads into, you know, how good an idea was it really to conceptualize Brainiac as the sort of Kryptonian artificial intelligence, the sort of living Wikipedia for the planet Krypton, as opposed to... I guess you could say a deranged Kaluan, you know, 
Was this really a change that needed to be made? And I'm kind of of two minds about it. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to, to be sure. I've always, on the one hand, liked the idea of a sort of guiding artificial intelligence native to Krypton that helps, I don't know, helps them just basically manage shit. I've always kind of liked that idea, just on a conceptual level. And I've also kind of liked the idea of that of that intelligence being Brainiac, on the one hand. On the other hand, though, the, the idea of a Kaluan Brainiac, it basically, it, it, it allows Brainiac to be a less on-the-nose type of counterpoint to Superman. Yes, they're both aliens, but... And, and they're both aliens either way. I just kind of like the idea of them being point-counterpoint aliens from different cultures. So, I don't know. I mean, both sides, or, or rather both presentations, you know, Brainiac as Kaluan or Brainiac as Kryptonian AI, both of those things have upsides and downsides. I'm not really sure, you know, which is which I like better. But I'll, I'll give it up to Paul Dini and Bruce Timm for... Being, I guess, creative enough to, I guess, to lock on to the idea of setting up Brainiac with a Kryptonian origin, which gives a sort of personal kind of push and pull type of a conflict between uh, Superman and Brainiac. And especially whenever you find out that Brainiac is, I don't know, directly or indirectly responsible, not just for the destruction of Krypton, but specifically for the, for the death of Jor-El. I think Superman would take that very personally. So there is that to think about. So I don't know. Either way, though, basically what we're seeing right now, just to kind of help people keep sync here, is Superman having this sort of vision in his mind. He's kind of drifting through space, and now he's seeing events from the pilot episodes, or really the first episode. And he's seeing Jarrell's participation in this. And Jarrell, of course, is about to... He, here he's getting attacked. And the, the ground quakes, because you can't say earthquakes, the ground quakes are starting up on Krypton. And now all kinds of havoc ensues. And Krypton goes kerplunk. And that is basically a, a sharp little insight into, into Brainiac's involvement with the destruction of Krypton. Now, I think a rational person would ask, if Superman saw all of this... Why wouldn't he instantly zip out to the middle of the desert and pounce on Brainiac right away? You know, why would he try making contact with Luther first? And honestly, I think we can kind of no prize this two different ways. First, there's the possibility that Superman just thinks, hey, I had a fucked up dream. This isn't necessarily true. So that's one one thing. The other thing is that, you know, Lex has to be stopped too. I mean, he has, he, he's got to be stopped from, from making contact, you know, with Brainiac. And he needs to know basically what the stakes are. And so, you know, Superman has got to make, make him aware of what's going on here. So that, I think, is why Superman didn't instantly pounce on on Brainiac the, the moment he saw all, all that stuff, you know? So, <clears throat> I'm not sure if that's necessarily what the writers of this episode intended, but damn it, that's what I'm running with. So, basically, here's where we find out that Lex has sort of plans of his own here with the uh, missiles pointed at Brainiac's ship. And Lex Luthor is just not the most trusting guy in the whole world. And Brainiac, being as smart as he is, has got to know that. So my gut instinct is to say that Brainiac knows damn good and well that those missiles are pointed at him. He's just not concerned about it just yet. And this pretty much leads us right into the section of the episode where we find out what an evil son of a bitch Brainiac really is. Right now he's interfacing with his uh, computer technology on his ship. And Superman is watching, but he's about to go into the next room and start checking out different orbs and whatnot. He's going to discover that Brainiac has, has been collecting 
an entire planet's data and then destroying that planet as well as all of its inhabitants. He's basically committed God only knows how many acts of complete and total genocide. All for his own personal gain. And when you think about it, guys, that is fucking evil. That is evil. You know, I mean, genocide of any kind really is, when you think about it, it's it's a pretty fucking horrible thing. But as many times as he's committed, I mean, there's no coming back from that, you know? That's just fucking evil. And by the way, one of these civilizations, I forget the name of the Star Wars book, but there's a Star Wars book about this painting. It's called Kill at Twilight. I believe it was written by... I want to say it was written by Timothy Zahn, but I could be wrong about that. But basically, Leia and Han have got to uh, steal a painting called Killick Twilight. K-I-L-L-I-K Twilight. And these little lizard men that are running across the screen right now, that's what they remind me of. The description of the Killicks in that book kind of make me... They've always made me think of these lizard men running around in, in that little bit of this episode here. So, I don't know. You can agree or, or, or disagree with that. Anyway, and so what we're seeing right now is Superman basically surveying all of these different completely destroyed civilizations. And this comes as a real punch in the balls to him, not just because Superman's the ultimate humanitarian, although there's that, but also the fact that something this evil came from Krypton. And Superman is going to take something like that extremely personally. And here's where we find out that Brainiac has basically locked everybody out of their own their own computer networks and defense systems, and he can basically destroy everybody on the planet with their own weapons, and nobody is in any position to stop him. And when you think about it, mankind, it, it it's only been in the last hundred or so years that it's even been technologically possible to put mankind in that type of position. And I'm not trying to turn that into an anti-technology thing, I'm just saying it's when you think about it, that's a kind of a recent development. Nevertheless, I'm sure the Joint Chiefs of Staff from earlier in this episode are currently shitting themselves. Nevertheless, Superman and Brainiac are now having it out with one another. And there's less to comment on here. It's basically just, this is, I guess, the action sequence of the episode that all of these episodes need to have. And because of that, there's really less intellectually to comment upon here. So I'm just going to smoke... Or not smoke, I'm going to vape off my cigarette here. My e-cig. Ah, yes. Here's another uh, Fleischer homage. The laser beam blasts Superman to the ground into submission. He catches his... He needs a second. He catches his breath. He swoops back out. He gets blasted with the laser again. Here it comes, right here. And now he does this quasi-Fleischer thing where he punches the laser beam right back at the source, and now he starts kicking Brainiac's ass. And back to my e-cig. We've regained control. Take Brainiac offline, permanently. Yeah, Brainiac is actually about to backhand Superman. Like, just give him the old bitch slap. Man. That's balls. You know, to smack Superman around like that. That's... That's fucking balls. Superman gathers his strength and punches right through Brainiac's fucking chest. Like I say, there's just less to intellectually comment upon here, but I guess if you if you need to read some kind of fancy schmancy symbolism into things, this is Superman destroying Jor-El's own destroyer, and there's a sort of personal edge to super that Superman has in this battle with uh, Brainiac. And Brainiac, of course, is worried about the orbs. And when you think about it, I mean, is Superman derelict in his duty for not 
rescuing all of the orbs. And originally I thought he was, but then I realized, well, it's not like the guy knew that the ship was about to get blown up. He he grabbed the one orb he was able to, and he we're going to be coming back to that in just a minute. But it's not like he didn't shoot the missiles. He's not the one that committed all the acts of genocide. He's not the one that created the orbs. He's not the one that stored the orbs. He's not the one that set off all of the different missiles and shit. I mean, basically, none of this is Superman's fault. He did everything he could, and unfortunately, it there it just there wasn't much he could do. So there is that to think oh, about. My thinking, though, is that Lex Luthor would be facing some serious fucking charges for what nearly happened here. You know, with uh, uh, Brainiac taking control of Earth's defenses. And here we see the... Honestly, the, I think this is the birth of the Fortress of Solitude. I think this is the first time that we see this underground cave that Superman ends up converting into the fortress. And I've always kind of liked the idea of this type of fortress, you know? It's a, it's basically a natural cave in, I guess, the Antarctic. But uh, Superman basically is using it for his own purposes. And it's, it's something that already exists in nature, and he's just uh, adapting to it. Instead of building it, he's using it. So, anyway. That, I think, is pretty much the end of this commentary and this episode, so I'm not sure if there's going to be anything next in the next segment or if there even will be a next segment, but I think that's pretty much it for me, at least for right now. So, I guess, enjoy these messages. We all remember seeing years ago those futuristic drawings saying what the future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. It was all started by a monster. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels... Earning My Ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast, is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. You know, a dear friend once said to me, it's a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. And... I thought not only are those words to live by, it's an idea worth celebrating. So that's why I created Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that is about, well, let's just say it's completely random. One episode might be about movies, the next might be about comics, the next might be about music. All that matters is that I'm giving you a recap and critique of stuff I enjoy and you're having as much fun as I am, or at least I hope. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork. You can find a new episode at least once a month at popcultureaffidavit.podomatic.com and notes, essays, and other stuff once a week at popcultureaffidavit.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. 
Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes. You can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>